0: Hello everybody, congratulations on surviving another week of the off-season. My name is Paul Boyer, this is Phillies Therapy, and it's our second off-season check-in of the winter, where... A few things happened this past week, not all of them very good, for a change. It's nice to get back into what's familiar, (laughs) what's a little less comfortable and a little less heroic. In case you hadn't been paying attention to the news, I don't really blame you if you weren't. A few things happened over the past week, most notably, Bryce Harper's long-awaited decision on, well, not really his decision, but the decision on Bryce Harper's elbow and what to do about it apparently reached, he will undergo surgery. It's unclear if it's Tommy John or some other kind of surgery. I don't really know all of the possibilities. I'm not an expert, not a doctor. Do not take my advice when it comes to medical things. But either way, as far as it relates to Harper, who is getting that surgery on his throwing elbow, he'll probably miss some time to begin the season. Won't be ready for spring training. Won't be ready for the World Baseball Classic. Maybe out until the All-Star break, maybe out until May. Who really knows? It's a little too early to say. But Harper will be unavailable as he undergoes this procedure and rehabs. And so the Phillies are left staring down what they probably were expecting, what probably felt a little bit inevitable, and that is finding a right fielder to hold down the spot for a little bit. Maybe that's Nick Castellanos. Maybe, as Matt mentioned a week or two ago, Their efforts to trade Castellanos are successful, and there's somebody else who fills in in the meantime. There's still a lot of time left in the offseason for all of that to shake out. And luckily, if you can think of this as being lucky, this is happening early enough in the offseason where the Phillies have tons and tons of time to figure out exactly what they're going to do to try and make up those at-bats, make up those uh, appearances in the field, those innings in the field. The odds probably favor Castellanos returning, just because... You don't often see guys traded one year into multi-year contracts. Somewhere Carlos Carlos Santana just started laughing. But you don't often see guys traded so soon. Now, there's acknowledgement that it's not really a good fit, right? Castellanos isn't really settling into Philadelphia quite so well just yet. The fans haven't really warmed up to him. Performance lagged a little bit. You hope for a bounce back. And honestly, you have to feel as though a bounce back is coming. The bar was set fairly low, and Castellanos is a better hitter than that. I maintain that he's a better hitter than that. His fit on this particular Phillies team, though, that remains a little bit questionable. So it could still go either way, as far as I see it. It's probably more likely that he returns, fills in in right field for a little bit, until Harper is ready to go, ready to throw, and we'll see how things go. Maybe he carries over a little bit of defensive confidence from his his game-saving plays, multiple game-saving defensive plays in the postseason. You have to hope for that anyway. You have to hope for a, a shot of confidence because this is a guy who really just has the track record of being a better hitter. It's not a super long track record. Don't get me wrong. When he started out in his career in Detroit, it took him a little bit to get going. But once he did, this was a guy who was comfortably above average with the stick. And you just have to feel that that guy is still in there somewhere. Castellanos is only going to be playing... In his age thirty one season, still youngish for baseball terms, I say as a thirty five year old, and you just have to feel like the odds are in your favor of seeing something a little bit better than what we were experiencing in that first year. So Harper will undergo to to the surgery. Castellanos is probably back. Matt Vierling sees some time out there. Maybe Nick Maton is around. And sees some time out there. They'll probably run through some guys. Maybe Dalton Guthrie sees some time a little bit. They've they've got a bench. Maybe they pick up a, a bench outfielder. Don't really expect any Edmundo Sosa appearances out there, but you never know. Either way, the Phillies seem covered somewhat. Really, the big deal, of course, is losing Harper's bat. Whatever this injury was, whatever the extent of it, he could hit through it, and boy, did he ever. But as he rehabs from the surgery, you know, that's just not possible. You just don't want to risk either rupturing sutures or, or causing damage to what was surgically repaired. I, I don't know the extent of what's going to go on inside that elbow. But he won't be able to hit until he's fully rehabbed from this procedure. He needs to get it. You know, the, his, his future as a productive all-around player for the remainder of this contract depends on uh, this procedure. You can't have him be a designated hitter for the last eight, nine years of this deal. And that's just just not going to happen. So he'll undergo the procedure. He'll miss some time. It'll be another abbreviated season. Unfortunately, you know, the real sad thing about this is that Harper will now have, let's look at it, one, maybe two complete seasons in his first five with the Phillies after missing some time here. Just looking at it real quick. Played 157 games his first year. That's a full season, of course, absolutely. He was still readjusting to things, you could probably say. Um, readjusting to a new city, having a kid. Put up what was for him a sort of lackluster season where he, he had an 880 OPS and hit 35 on runs, drove in a buck 14, you know, like <laughs> superhuman things for other people. It was maybe a little bit substandard for him. Then, of course, we have the shortened 2020 season, played 141 games in 2021 and only 99 regular season games, at least this past year. So we've been robbed a little bit of, of a lot of full seasons of Bryce Harper. This is because he's been putting his body on the line for this team. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not a glass body situation, at least not as far as I see it right now. This is just a guy who, you know, has had some freak injuries, some hit by pitches, foul balls, um, A throwing injury is not typically something you expect from an outfielder. But hey, you know what? That's just what we got to deal with right now as fans. So Harper will miss that time. He'll be back. You assume he'll be as good as he ever was in his age 30 season. He's still only 30. And it'll be great to have him back whenever he does eventually come back into the lineup and back out into right field. Uh, I'm sure the fans out there missed the (laughs) the curtain call bow that he does before every home game. I know I certainly have. Apart from the Harper news, there's really no movement, at least not much movement, with the major league roster as things stand right now. But there was a move made to the 40-man roster, one in particular. Prospect Johan Rojas was added to the 40-man roster this past week, which means he is protected from the Rule 5 draft happening next month. He cannot be selected by another team and placed onto their major league roster. The same cannot be said for left-handed pitcher Eric Miller, who was mentioned by name at points as an outside candidate to provide some bullpen help to the Phillies just this past year. And he goes unprotected, which is interesting. I wonder if there's something more to that, but we don't really know that right now. In either case, the Phillies added Rojas to their 40-man roster, which now stands at 37 players heading into... The bulk of the winner. This means that when they eventually get around to signing major league free agents, which they will, they have a little bit of flexibility in that they don't have to shed anybody else off the 40-man roster in order to accommodate them just yet, at least until there are three more guys added. Who those three guys might be it's anybody's guess. You would expect one of the middle infielders, shortstops. You would think that there's going to be a pitching ad or two and then after that, you get into some churn, guys. There's there's some some occupation of the lower 40-man roster, um, guys that you wouldn't exactly expect to be untouchable. You know, you think along the lines of, uh, of a Vinny Holy <laughs> who appeared late in the year. Uh, I'm sure they like his arm, but he probably doesn't figure to be one of the higher-ranking guys on the 40-man roster up first to take uh, innings as they arrive. Maybe somebody like Donnie Sands, catcher there's a little bit of flexibility there so whenever they do get around to actually adding people once they get to that fourth major league ad and of course this precludes anybody getting traded off of the 40-man roster which could happen uh, they've got a little bit of time before they need to start worrying about either designating anybody for assignment exposing them to waivers etc cetera, etc cetera. and the Phillies may even be able to make a uh, rule five draft selection of their own You have to have a free 40-man spot in order to make a pick in the Major League phase of that, again, which happens at the end of the winter meetings, which is next month. Maybe the next Shane Victorino is out there. Who knows? (laughs) Rojas, for his part, is considered one of the Phillies' better prospects, even though he's not necessarily one of the game's best prospects. He's got great speed, and the rule changes coming to the league may help him a little bit with the size of the bases being increased. The hit tool, though, has a lot of people concerned. He started off pretty well when he first got to AA this past year, but then things tapered off a bit. And it's not really it's not really clear exactly how well he would hit if he was placed on a major league lineup right now. It's just not clear. You'd have to think of him more as as a, a pure role player, something along the lines of a Terrence Gore who finds his way onto rosters late in the year because he's so fast and plays good defense that teams can accommodate that and use him as a specialist during the stretch run and possibly even into the playoffs. That's not really something you want to use a roster spot on for the bulk of the regular season. So you don't expect Rojas to be somebody who's banging down the door to make the team out of spring training. You just don't expect that. But you hope that as he gets more reps in AA and maybe eventually AAA, that he gets more exposure to quality pitching, that he grows, that he adjusts, that he works with the coaches, to improve that hit tool that maybe he can scrape by that. Maybe he can do better than just scraping by right now. It doesn't look that great for him offensively, but you can't deny the speed and the defense gets plus grades as well. Uh, So you have to think that he's got some kind of role, some kind of spot, some kind of, of um, utility as far as the Phillies are concerned. He'll be somebody to watch. I, I particularly like watching him and I feel like there's a little bit more in there offensively, just has to get unlocked. So we'll have to see how that goes. Rojas is on the 40-man roster. He will not be poached by another team unless he is traded there this offseason. This past week was also the time for season awards to be announced. There weren't really many Phillies in the mix for a lot of these awards. Um, at least not in the mix for winning them. I think a lot of the winners were were pretty clear for some time now. And the Phillies, either their players or their manager in this particular case, weren't really in the mix. We'll talk about the manager in just a second because I think that could be interpreted a little bit differently. But you look at the Cy Young Award, Aaron Nola finished fourth, which I think might, might have surprised a few people who might not have paid attention um, uh, from the day to day. You know, like us, like us <laughs> ridiculous sickos who are watching in the, in the, the throes of early August. Nola finished fourth. He did not pick up any first place votes because Sandy Alcantara was a unanimous winner. The Miami Marlins pitcher had a fantastic year and, and everybody knew that he was going to win as the season began to wrap up. Nola, for his part, probably even could have finished higher than fourth if you think about it. Again, he wasn't going to win and his ERA was a little bit higher than some of the other guys around him. But here's the thing. Aaron Nola's best skill right now is eating innings, and I'm not just talking about in a Joe Blanton way, where he's out there to just sort of mop up, and you know maybe he gives up four over six regularly. No, he does better than that. Nola pitched 205 innings this past season. Alcantara again at 228, which is so far clear of everybody. Plus with his low ERA and and great strikeout to walk ratio, low homer total, like it, yeah, he was the clear winner. So we'll just set him aside. But you look at Nola, 205 innings. That's more than anybody else apart from Alcantara on this young ballot. It's 20 more innings than Max Fried, who finished second. It's 30 more innings than Julio Arias, who finished third. It's 30 innings. That is 90 more outs. 90. 9-0. It's a lot of outs. Look, people are going to bring up Nola's... Hitting a wall in the World Series a lot, I get that. In this regular season, and in many of the regular seasons past, you know, 2018 being the the crown jewel of them, uh, this is a guy who's been reliable, who's been durable, who's taken the ball every fifth day, and gone deep in a lot of his starts. That's really valuable. It really is. Uh, I'm happy to see that he finished in the top five maybe would have liked to see a little more recognition of how many more outs he got than the two guys apart from Alcantara who finished ahead of him, but that's okay. That's splitting hairs. Nola has his second career top five Cy Young finish. The Phillies picked up his option again earlier in the offseason. He is on a one-year deal for the moment, and the team's going to have to give some serious thought into extending him if they really want to be serious about keeping a top-tier rotation moving forward. There was nothing really to be said about some of the other awards. The Phillies had no rookies who were going to challenge for the Rookie of the Year Award, which was won by Michael Harris in Atlanta. They weren't going to have any real competition for the MVP, uh, which was given to Paul Goldschmidt, the Cardinals. JT Riomuto, for what it's worth, finished 7th, which is great. Kyle Schwarber finished 16th. He picked up a couple of points down ballot. I think the thing with JT that I'm happy to see, I'm happy to see him in the top 10. The thing with JT that we were all really kind of hoping the national folks were picking up on was how much better he was for the last two thirds of the season. Really, his season line in 820 OPS on the year was dragged down by his slow start. It was a very slow start. Uh, There was a time where I, in particular, was worried about you know whether he was going to be able to bounce back from a start that slow. His OPS almost dropped below 600 toward the end of May. <laughs> it wasn't good. Things were a little bit concerning. But from that point on, from that low OPS point on, it's 103 appearances, including 98 starts. Again, this is a catcher. He had 20 homers. His OPS was just shy of 900. Stole 18 bases, caught just the one time. He was great. He was an anchor. He had a fantastic year. It was a terrific 67% of a year. And again, he just he's behind the plate every day. The fact that he was able to do what he did to rebound from the slow start, catchers age quickly than a lot of other positions, so the fact that he was able to defy that curve for a little bit longer, it really just says that much more. We've talked about JT here on the show, Matt and I both. He did incredible things this year. The season line as a whole may not really reflect that. If you look back on this in a couple of years or, or somebody who's not a Phillies fan looks back on it, they're going to say, why is this dude with an OPS 50 points below everybody else smack dab in the middle of the top 10? And the simple fact of the matter is is that he just picked it up to such an insane degree in the second half of the year and really just a little bit before that uh, that he was absolutely worthy of finishing in the top 10. Schwarber, of course, for his part, had kind of a weird year on balance he led the national league in home runs he had 46 led the majors in strikeouts he's the only one who hit uh, 200 strikeouts this year hit just 218 average wise drew a bunch of walks though 86 walks which kept his on base percentage more than 100 points above the batting average which you like to see if you're only going to hit 218 still managed to slug over 500 won the silver slugger out in the outfield Still, it never really seemed like an elite regular season, despite leading the league in home runs, leading the National League in home runs. Schwarber's never been really much of a a huge high average guy, but you would hope that next season has a a little bit more in the base hit department in him. Uh, It seemed like it was very three true outcomes as the season progressed. But either way, uh, nice to see him get a little bit of recognition. Nice to see him uh, be recognized among the 19 players who received MVP votes this year. One award that I think maybe surprised people a little bit more than the MVP or the Cy Young or the Rookie of the Year award in terms of Philly's representation, well, that would be Manager of the Year, an award that I have to admit I understand less and less as the years go on. I I don't know what the criteria are. I do not know. I do not understand what it takes to be the best manager, to be awarded the... The best manager certificate. I I, I don't know. I'm not sure what you need to do to prove worthiness and get that award from the panel of writers. I don't know what sets you apart as a manager. I'm really not sure. I, I look at the voting for the manager of the year in the National League, and six managers received votes. The winner was Buck Showalter of the Mets, who had a lot of really good players on their team, right? They won 101 games. Each of the managers who finished in the top three were on teams, managed teams that won at least 100 games. Second place was Dave Roberts of the Dodgers, won 111 games. That was a stacked team. I don't know what you really need to manage on a team like that to to win a lot of games. And the same kind of goes for Brian Snicker in Atlanta, although maybe to a slightly lesser degree. When you're just pumping out a farm system that can plug in holes no matter where they emerge, like, you're just, I don't know what you need to do. <laughs> this is, of course, from the outside. Like, what, what do I know? I'm sure. But that's why I'm confused about what it actually takes to win this award. I mean, maybe you can credit him for for plugging in, I don't know, Orlando Arcia and Vaughn Grissom when Ozzy Albies went down. Managing without Ronald Acuna for a little bit and then having him be a little bit subpar, I, I i don't know. They had a lot of really great pitchers. You just give the pitchers the ball and swap them out as necessary. I, well, I guess that's managing, huh? Anyway, Ali Marmol of the Cardinals finished fourth, and then there's Rob Thompson in fifth. He received two first-place votes, which is great. But I have to think that Thompson's biggest drawback would be a penalty of... of Time served, I guess. He took over after 51 games. He only managed 111 games. But they were great 111 games. Everybody paid attention to how much this team turned around when he assumed control. And you have to figure with an award that, that relies so much on story, on narrative, on the appearance of a manager's ability to transform a team or to be a guiding hand or a steadying hand or to be the key influence in the clubhouse to write a ship and to get this team possibly overperforming where they were expected to in uh, the preseason. Well, you'd have to feel like Rob Thompson checks a lot of those boxes. So I'm not really sure, again, what it takes to win this award. I was very surprised, personally, when I saw that Thompson finished fifth. I used to think that this award maybe weighted against managers who had really stacked teams. That that was considered when factoring in their ability to actually manage the team. But now I just, I I don't really know. I don't really understand. I'm not sure what it takes. It seems like that weight was taken into account in the AL where Dusty Baker, who, you know, this is a regular season award, but did just guide the Astros to a World Series title. That team won 106 games and Dusty Baker finished fourth. With only three first place votes, Terry Francona took the award for Cleveland because that was a that was a little bit of a ragtag team. You know, you had the emergence of Stephen Kwan and and some other guys who um, picked up the slack a little bit, but for the most part, it was another season of oh, we don't know what this Cleveland team is going to do. They're 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 probably going to finish well behind Minnesota and and Chicago. Then here they are winning the division by 11 games and they exceeded those expectations and that probably played a big part in Francona getting the award. And the same can't really be said in the NL where all the big guns (laughs) took the top three spots. So I'm not really sure what that award is. I don't know how you vote on it. I'm not sure what the criteria are. I think a lot of us here in in the Delaware Valley and, and beyond who are definitely not biased at all Would have expected Rob Thompson to be a little bit higher and would have placed him higher on our ballots. But he'll have to settle for fifth place and the recognition that comes with it, so be it. We'll always remember his turnaround and how he helped guide this team into the playoffs and beyond. Lastly, there is one other move the Phillies made this past week. They agreed to a one-year deal with reliever Sam Coonrod. One year for right around $800,000. It's an interesting decision, because Coonrod seemed like he was headed for a potential non-tender. He only pitched 12 innings in 2022. He's been battling injury. He made 42 appearances in 2021. He was okay. He throws hard, gives up home runs, um, battled some control issues in his uh, smaller sample here in 2022. It seems like, I don't really know. There's probably some feeling within the team that he's got a little bit more potential to unlock still. The other part of it might just be that they don't feel as though they have a ton of Major League Ready Relief options in the org right now. I guess that's possible. It's hard to say. But either way, Sam Coonrod is likely going to be around. That's not a ton of money. You know, if this is a situation where he comes into spring training and is either not ready or doesn't look good, you know, this isn't really the kind of money or commitment that's going to hold you back from moving on or freeing up the roster spot. If you feel as though you need to, this is simply a play where the Phillies believe that there's more to Coonrod than he showed uh, in 2022, especially, but maybe even the past two years, they seem to think highly of him. I mean, they traded for him when he came off a year where he, <laughs> he allowed 16 runs in 14 innings where his command was not great. And he was giving up those home runs. He, he had a little bit of strikeout stuff. You could say 2021 was a decent year. He was okay. He had a really terrible time with inherited runners. But for the most part, he was all right. And I guess that's about what you pay a reliever who's all right. The kind of guy you don't really expect to mop up your really high leverage innings. And so it goes. So he's likely to be around at the very least. He'll have a spot on the roster in spring training. He'll come in. He'll compete. See how things go with that. It is worth noting that according to Roster Resource, Coonrod does have another minor league option. That's another thing to consider. If things don't go really well, if he struggles at the gate, still needs a little time to ramp up, he can be optioned to Lehigh Valley where he can work on things there. Um, You don't normally see guys who are making above the minimum or who are non-pre-arbitration deals get optioned to the minors like that, but if you're talking about middle relief... You're talking about trying to find guys who can you know, give you 50 reliable innings in the middle of that bullpen or maybe even toward the front end of that bullpen. Well, this is what happens. And you have that flexibility with the roster option to potentially churn them around a little bit as you hopefully unlock the potential that you seem to think is there. So Sam Kuhnrod avoids arbitration, gets a one-year deal right around $800,000. And that's about it as far as the commitment outlay uh, goes for the Phillies right now. Obviously, the offseason is still very young, still very early on. It's a lot of time to go. Don't really expect too much movement still before the winter meetings. But you just never know when Dave Dombrowski might strike. He could be lurking. So we're all on alert. Hopefully, the Phillies get, uh, get around to making the exciting moves sooner than later. But if not, we will keep biding our time, being patient, waiting for those winter meetings to come around. So until more of that exciting stuff comes around and happens... We'll at least check in with you next weekend. For the still vacationing and hopefully sipping a Mai Tai somewhere in the suburbs of Philadelphia Matt that I am Paul Boyer. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and week, everybody.